Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. But looking at our faces edition. Welcome to YouTube. Uh, if you are listening to this in your traditional you know, podcast feed, congratulations. Nothing is different. Uh, I'm sure we sound just as good as we always do. You can hear us talk about Missouri football like you normally do for you. All who are joining us on YouTube, yes, this is what we look like. And this is what it looks like when words come out of our mouth. It's really weird. Um, and I, as someone who has you know worked remotely for 10 years now, it does make a difference when you see how somebody acts when they talk versus just their words. So, yes, BK is always that handsome. And, yes, I'm always <laughs> this sweaty. Uh, BK, how are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. It's great to be here live and semi-in-person, basically the COVID version of in-person. That, that's what we're doing here. Uh, everybody decided, hey, Zoom's a thing now. And that's essentially what this is. So it's great to be here, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited uh, to have our first voyage into YouTube world for Beyond the Box score. And it's uh, historic, I guess, if you will. Um, but yeah, we're going to just jump into it and treat this like any other show because it is. Uh, however, unlike most shows, there's not really a whole lot going on. And I think that's kind of the byproduct of college football in April, where you just don't have a lot going on. Uh, if things are going on, it's recruiting based, maybe coaching based, roster talk, that sort of stuff. And guess what? That's what our show's going to be about. So we'll start off with some unofficially official news. If you remember, you know, about a week or so ago, maybe two weeks at this point, uh, there was word that dropped that Missouri had actually hired an offensive line coach. His name is Brandon Jones, used to work for Houston, used to work for Texas Tech. He is actually a pretty highly related offensive line coach. Less so on the offensive coordinator department, but that's not why we hired him. We hired him to talk to the five dudes uh, that protect all the skill position players on the offensive side. Now, it has not been officially announced yet. I don't know if they are waiting for him to be on campus or and like he is walking here and so it's taking 3,000 days to do it uh, or if there's some kind of contract negotiation that's going weird. Couldn't tell you. Have no news on that. But for all intents and purposes, we believe that Brandon Jones will be Missouri's next offensive line coach. BK, what do we think about this? So a little bit of like context on why this isn't announced yet i think most of the coaches were on vacation because this is the time when they're able to do that because it's like the dead period for the transfer portal there's really no recruiting news to happen at this time of the year in the high school side of things um so i think that's why it hasn't been officially announced yet it's just because they want drake wants to be in town whatever this thing is announced and he's i don't think in town right now or wasn't in town at least so i think there's that's part of it as to why it hasn't been announced officially yet I like the hire. Um, the biggest reason why I like the hire is because there's no obvious connections to Drinkwitz in the past. And that's not to suggest, like, you're a bad coach because you coached with Eli Drinkwitz previously, but it's kind of the friends and family thing, right? Like, if you're an NFL fan, you've seen Bill Belichick, and part of the demise of him is he's hired his friends and his family. Like, it's just a bunch of dudes that have been coaching with Belichick for the last 20 years at this point got like a seven-man staff which is different than everybody else in the nfl i think two of them are his kids and three of them are guys that have been with him for 20 years so like 
He has no new blood. There's no new ideas. There's nothing fresh about what they're doing in New England. The reason I bring that up with Columbia and Mizzou is because that's kind of Eli Drinkwitz' MO in the past, is you look at the Arkansas State staffs that he was a part of, you look at the Auburn staff that he was a part of, and you say, okay, these are the 35 guys that Eli Drinkwitz has a history with, regardless of position, that's probably a pretty good idea of what the pool of candidates is going to be for who's going to hire at Mizzou. And this is not a guy that he's worked with in the past. As far as we know, there's no obvious history of Brandon Jones working with anybody that I can find on Missouri staff. So he's just a guy that they targeted and said, hey, this guy's highly qualified, he's available, and we need somebody to coach our offensive line. Let's go get the best guy that's available. I love that. Like, you should hire guys that are qualified and good at what they do. And based on all reports and people that would know these types of things, it seems like Brandon Jones is a really highly thought of, highly regarded offensive line coach. I can't pretend as if I know a lot about Brandon Jones. I wasn't watching a ton of Houston's offensive line and breaking them down game to game and knowing exactly what they were being asked to do to be able to do that effectively. But Bruce Feldman who is as plugged in as anybody in college football, tweeted out, Bazoo's getting a good O-line coach in Brandon Jones. He developed two sophomores into all AAC linemen in 2022. Houston probably did the best job of anybody in slowing down Texas Tech's Tyree Wilson, who's expected to be a top-five draft pick this spring. So, as an offensive line coach, seems to be pretty good. As a recruiter, seemed to get pretty decent talent on campus at Houston. As an OC, not so good, and that's why he was no longer at Houston. Thankfully, thankfully for Mizzou, they've got their OC. They've got a head coach that dabbles in that side of thing as well. All you need is for him to be really good at coaching the offensive line, and it seems like he's qualified to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Houston's uh, rushing success rate last year was 46%. That's 40th in the nation. Uh, the line's ability to get the running backs four yards was 54%. That's 7th in the country. Uh, just as a reminder, Missouri was at 48, so that would be a huge improvement. Uh, power success rate was about as good as Missouri's, honestly, 68%, which is fine, whatever. Uh, their stuff rate, 16%, was actually pretty good. You know, we can go through this and look at everything, you know, like how many times did they get sacked per, per dropback? Well, it was 4%. That's top 25, right? You know, like there are there are things that you can look at and say, okay, you know, this is a good hire or this is a bad hire. Uh, I will point out that they got penalized a lot the only team the only offensive line that got penalized worse than missouri frankly uh but they didn't allow, allow a lot of pressures the thing is is that you go off of rep, and we talked about this the last show it's less about you know oh well is that is what he did prior going to immediately translate to missouri no that's not true for any hire that you make you look at the resume you see what he's played with and if you think that he can work in your system and work with the guys that you have, you make the hire just flat out. We said you got to find a good offensive line coach. Don't need to find a good recruiter. Don't need to find a good coordinator. Find a good offensive line coach. And by at least the industry is saying they found a good one. So, yes, I'm excited about that. He was also in demand by several schools, which I like that. I like when someone has a lot of people who want to hire him. And then your favorite school gets to hire him. So, in the end, you know, there are a lot of things that you can point to and say, I like it. There are some things you can point to and say, I don't like it, and that's fine. We are going to find out in September, really probably not even halfway through the year, whether this was a good hire or not. And even then, given the things that he is playing with, all the pieces he's playing with, we still might not know if he's all that great until we get a year or two into this. But we have a guy. He's going to be working for us. He's going to be working with the offensive line, and people like him. So, on the offseason checklist, I think that's about as much as you can ask for. Agreed. The other thing is, like, if you're looking at the pass blocking production, and some of this is a Dana Holgerson um, holdover. Like, his his offenses just tend to be really good on the passing side of things. But um, it's worth noting they had some of the best pass blocking offensive lines in the country over the last few years. And if you're looking at one area that you'd like to be good as an offensive line, it's keeping your quarterback upright. So... Whatever he's doing, whatever worked for him at Houston, if he could bring some of that to Mizzou, I'm not going to be upset about it. No, absolutely not. Now, one thing that we did mention in the last show, I think a couple of people have made the same joke, and I have I have lumped my name in there too, was can he bring a center with him? Whoever they hire, can he bring a center to Missouri? And 
frankly, I don't think we have an exact answer out there. However, BK, you said that there is a gentleman from Houston, maybe two, uh, who are currently in the portal who might follow their old friend to Missouri. What do you have for us? Yeah, so a, a gentleman by the name of Cameron Johnson. He was a first-team All-AAC. He was one of those players that I mentioned uh, guard last year at the University of Houston. He is excellent, like really, really, really good as a player, and he has entered the transfer portal. Now, he has a lot of options. He has already claimed on Twitter that he has offers from Cal, Maryland, Arkansas, South Carolina, West Virginia, Arizona State. I'm sure that's not the entirety of the list. He has also claimed that he got offered by Mizzou. That came on March 10th. It is now April 4th. That happened before it was at least announced publicly that his coach was going to be the next offensive line coach at Missouri. There's obviously a history there. I would imagine that Cameron Johnson is leaving Houston a, to win, and B, because he wants to play in a bigger and potentially better conference to test his ability to play at the highest level because he wants to go to the NFL. He wants to prove to the league that, hey, I'm a guy that you should draft highly in next year's draft. So is this a guy that would be interested in Missouri? I, I don't know. I, I would hope so. I mean, they've got an obvious connection there. He has more than 1,500 career snaps. That's something that appeals to me. He was quite good in in those 1,500 snaps. That's also appealing to me. It's hard not to see the upgrade that he could offer to you. If you added him to the mix, you've got Javon Foster, Armand Mimbu, Marcellus Johnson, and Johnson, this Johnson, Cameron Johnson, as four of your five starters. I feel really good about all four of those guys starting somewhere along your offensive line going into next year. That's two transfers. Mimbu, who's coming back for his sophomore se season, he was very good as a freshman in his limited opportunities. And Foster, who's just super solid for you at tackle. You still have a problem at center, but now you could try out Delgado or Indoma Ogar or Tolleson, Polgar. You can, you've got options there at center. And then this brings us to the other Houston recruit that is currently in the transfer portal as well. Chase Todd. Now, this is an unheralded guy. I have no idea what Missouri's new offensive line coach thinks about him because he frankly didn't play a whole lot at Houston. So maybe he's just not interested in him, didn't think he was very good there, doesn't want him to bring him to Mizzou. That's possible. He was a two-star recruit out of the Houston area. There's no obvious connection to the Tigers other than the fact that they have his former offensive line coach. But he tweeted out some of his huddle film both from practice and then also what he added to offer in games as well. He did play center for Houston. He was listed at guard, but he did get real opportunities at center, especially in practice. I mean, he's athletic, and he seems to hold up pretty well in pass pro. I don't think he's worse than what you have currently on the roster. And so if you just wanted to do a package deal of let's take one more guy and see what he's got, throw him into the competition... I've heard way worse ideas and way worse ways to go about this than that. So um, I know they've got a little bit of a scholarship crunch, but he's somebody that I would be interested in, honestly. I mean, if he's not a clear – look, college coaches figure this stuff out. That's why they get paid a million dollars. Roster management. If he's not a clear-cut upgrade over what you already have – I think he's an upgrade over your current centers. I don't know, like, can Indomo Ogar or Delgado play center? I don't know the answer to that question. Is he an upgrade over those two if they can make that transition? That I'm not sure of. Is he better than Tolleson or Polgar, given what the comments have been about those two this spring and what we saw from Tolleson last year? That I'm pretty confident in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's certainly bigger, <laughs> or at least fatter in the butt. Um, so I, uh, uh, I don't know. Like, if they're best friends, you know, and they need the BFF package, yeah, just fine, whatever, we'll figure it out. Can I interest you in a Cameron Johnson, though? I mean, yes, I am personally <laughs> interested in the Cameron Johnson, and I would give you, I would give you several offensive offensive linemen that we currently have for him, just to go bye bye, go away. Um, so that that is not a deal for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, Missouri is five scholarships over the limit to my count. I can't tell you if anybody got taken off, you know, put back on walk on status or whatever. But like to my count, that's ninety five, or sorry, ninety, and they're five over uh, where they need to be. So you know, you got to trim some fat. The May transfer portal opens up, and I'm sure you will see five guys leave or however many leave, and then we get to bring on everybody who are going to bring on. Um, it's just it is a position of need. It's right up there with defensive end. Uh, it's right up there with probably running back. 
Uh, but it's it's definitely number one because you need to find someone who can coach the line, be the leader of the line, and free everybody up to do what they do best. I think that's the biggest thing. We can move pieces around. You can find guys who can do this. And it sounded like at the end of spring, they were trying out folks at center just to see what they had. But it goes back to what you and I have talked about before, your best position versus your best five. And if you can put someone who is actually good at center in that position and free everybody up to do everything else and not have to worry about that, that's, that is where you need to be. And so whatever that looks like, I'm sure the staff has been thinking about it constantly, especially Jones as he's coming on. How do I fix this line? How do I get it to where we need to be? Cameron Johnson makes a lot of sense. Haven't really seen anybody else in the portal that that at least intrigues me. So we will see what happens. But I I would be good with Johnson. Uh, and if he's a package deal, then we'll work around that. But uh, yeah, first and foremost, get that center. That's going to be the big one. I'm with you. Um, and if they could go get anything, like even if you can't get a center in the portal, Cameron Johnson will make the center next to him better. Like if there was a weak spot not at center last year, it was probably left guard. And Xavier Delgado like was fine, but if you look into any of the grades, especially on Pro Football Focus or anything like that, or if you go a little deeper into what happened with him at at guard last year, it was up and down. He was fine. Like you you can get by with that guy as a starter for you, but you're always looking to upgrade from him. Kind of like a fifth starter in a pitching rotation in Major League Baseball, like. You can get by with whoever, really, as long as they're giving you five solid innings from time to time. But you always kind of want to upgrade that player, and that, that's kind of how I feel about Delgado. He's fine, but I, I mean, would do you would you say he is replacement level, or do you yeah. think he's below? Okay. Yeah, I, I think he's he's like Chris Turner, right? The only yeah. favorite defensive end. Exactly. Like if he's out there, are you going to notice him a ton? No. And like as an offensive lineman, that's probably a good thing, but. You're also not noticing him for anything positive. He's just basically stalemates all day long. Well, it is a work in progress. And boy, I mean, Missouri is doing their best to bring in interesting offensive linemen, talented offensive linemen. It's just they're all wee babies who are in the gun club and trying to bulk up and learn to play line in the SEC. So um, I think Eli Drinkwood said sometime in the spring, he's like, look, man, you know, we're in the market for an SEC caliber offensive line. That guy exists. He's got 50,000 offers from every other school out there. Like, that's just, everybody's looking for that. Even if you're not looking for that, you're looking for that. So it is one of the toughest positions to grade coming out of high school and then to get out of the portal just because everybody needs an upgrade on whoever they have at all times. So it's it's going to be rough. Um, but, you know, if you trust the process, trust if you like Drinkwitz and trust that the uh, various Mizzou NIL funds have some money to throw around. All right, we we can work around that. We can make it happen. Um, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about the future a little bit more because I had a piece that dropped today. One of my favorite things to do. Uh, this is something that Bill C has done before. Uh, is returning production, and returning production in Bill C's world, and advanced analytics world, it's not about who you bring back. It's about what you bring back. And, you know, he's been tooling around with these with these numbers since, you know, 2007, 2008. A lot of data on it. And he tries to figure out, of all the stats out there, what is the most predictive of improvement or regression? Uh, and then he weights that, and he looks at everything that comes back. You got to throw in transfers in there, see who left, and boom, you spit out a number. And it tells you, all right, so this is how much is coming back. Here's where that ranks against everybody else. Now, when we were doing this last year, so this was the you know the, the end of the 2021 season going into 2022, Missouri's returning production was not all that great. Um, in fact, if you look at it, uh, it Missouri ranked like 65th, I want to say, uh, 68th, 65% overall, 68th, 105th in offense and 30th in defense. Well, last year, Missouri's offense stunk and Missouri's defense was pretty good. So, Maybe there is something to that returning production number, especially when you're considering transfers get lumped in there. Now, this year, it's a lot better. In fact, Missouri has currently the ninth best returning production in the country, second in the SEC behind Texas A&M. So, what does that mean? 
Well, the good news is that teams who return around 80% of last year's production tend to improve by about four or five spots in SP+. What does that mean? Well, Missouri was at a 9 last year. That could take him to a 14, maybe a 15. Teams that are in the 14-15 range, well, I can tell you one off the bat, Ole Miss. Did you like Ole Miss last year? I was into that, yeah. They were pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, now, Oklahoma was in that group, too. But we're, we're, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the positives. Um, Oregon State, which went 10-3. and three. Illinois, which went 8-5. and five. Honestly, I would sign up right now for Illinois season last year. They had some yeah. big wins. They had an interesting season. They had a real chance to be able to take down uh, Michigan. Like they, they probably should have beat Michigan. Honestly, got a couple of bad calls that did, that went against them, and they were a super fun team. They couldn't throw the football, but that's beside the point. Well, New York and Missouri, right? The entire time we've <laughs> been here, Missouri's not been able to throw the ball, so we're very fun. We're very comfortable with that. Point is, is that if you return a lot of production, you tend to improve. Now, there are outliers and everything like that, but from at least the macro view, that is true. So Missouri's in a very interesting point right here. Keep in mind, Missouri returned almost 80% of their returning production from 16 going to 17, and they improved like 10 spots. And they did it again, 17 to 18, and improved 9 spots. And in fact, that 18 team was one of the best teams in the SP Plus era. So this is all, all of this is saying the better you are, the higher you are in returning production, the better chance you have of improving, and we have seen it happen in Columbia. So if you're talking about positivity, this is one of those things. Here's the rub, BK, because there's got to be context behind it. You might return a bunch of dudes who threw the ball around, but which one are you going to start? You might return a lot of guys on the offensive line, but which five are you going to start? And I think looking at this when I was doing this exercise, Yes, I can see without context that Missouri returns a lot, but knowing this team like we do and like the fans do, it all comes down to who's starting. So do you view this as a positive, net positive, a net negative, or eh, we'll see. I think it's positive because like your worst case scenario is that you returned the guys that were at, at worst fine a year ago. And you have the potential to upgrade from them, right? So like we can go through individually. At quarterback, Brady Cook was fine last year he was the middle of the pack right he was a perfectly replacement level to use your term from earlier quarterback in the sec he can run at times he looked good throwing at other times he looked like a liability throwing just depending on the week but if he's your starting quarterback this upcoming year you can be okay as we saw as we saw a year ago but you also have other options you've got jake garcia you've got cm horn that could come in and give you an upgrade or be worse. <laughs> you don't know. It, it's a mystery box. It's the whole, like, um, you could have a boat or you could have this mystery box. And the mystery box might even be a boat. We don't know yet. That's why we've got the mystery box. Um, at running back, that that is the one spot where it's kind of a meh for me. Yeah. Like, I, you return Cody Schrader and Nathaniel Pete. Cool. Uh, could I see more Tavoris Jones? Oh, like, please. if you could see more of that, that sounds interesting to me. On the offensive line, we just went through all of that. Like, I trust, I think, three guys at a pretty high level going into the season. And then it's just a question of, like, what do you get from the other two spots? Who's starting in those two spots? Can you bring in a Cameron Johnson? Wide receivers may be where it's most interesting to me. And this is where I wanted to ask you a follow-up on this. You're losing out on Dominic Lovett, and that was basically your wide receiver position from last year. Luther Burden, I think, and this is going to be my like strong stance going into the year. And I'm sure that I'm not out on an island. Like I'm sure a lot of people will believe this, but I believed going into last year that Dominic Lovett was in for a big year. A lot of that was because of what we saw from the spring game. Now we did not see a spring game this year, unfortunately, but my guess is you will see a similar jump from Luther Burden this year that we saw from Lovett last year. And it's because a he's super talented and B he's moving inside. It's just easier to win from the slot than it is to win from outside. So I think Luther Burden's going to be fine there. How do you feel about the receiver position specifically when it comes to their returning production? I mean, it's... When you look at successful teams, the successful teams are the ones that are good with throwing the ball. Offense, throwing it to a receiver, defense, breaking those passes up. And a lot of that comes with experience. And Missouri does not have a lot of that. Now, Luther Burden's in his second year. Right. Luther Boogie Cooper is like, you know, a fourth year, uh, but his third year on campus. True. Akai Miller, very, very intriguing. Peanut Houston, intriguing. 
but that's all you got. You, we're, we're banking on, you know, we're banking on Luther Burton making the Lovett leap. We're banking on it. Theo Weiss is an interesting addition. He had 34 targets last year. Dennis Jackson, interesting addition, didn't play last year. So it's very mixed. You're going to have experience and you're going to have production. But Missouri under Eli Drinkwitz has never had a dynamic passing game. And whether that's by purpose, design, or just talent, it's just not been there. And he has done his best. Eli Drinkwitz has done his best to try to replicate Love It with a bunch of different guys. But we're going to really miss Barrett Bannister. I know it's not going to feel like that. I know he was not the most dynamic pass catcher. We're going to miss him. And Towski Dove, he was a hell of a run blocker. And I hope that there's some other receiver out there who can run block his ass off because that's what Missouri does. And Towski was really good at blocking for that. So I I feel mixed. I think if each player, not hit their ceiling, but if each player can deliver, right? Like just give me a median performance week after week after week after week. I think Missouri will be okay. But you're banking on a lot of things that are just not guaranteed to happen, and we still don't know which quarterback is going to be throwing the ball. Uh, We're not sure who's going to be up front on offensive line. So receiver is important, but I feel like it's the third most important thing on a long list of very important things that we got to figure out first. Yeah, I I think... Like if Burden falls into place and he's a guy that can be a like number one target with a bullet, he's a legit number one weapon in the SEC. Everything else from there becomes a secondary concern. Where it's like, all right, we've got the number one guy. As long, honestly, in college football, if you've got a guy in the slot that can win on his own and can either a went after the catch in a significant way, and I think Burden can do that, or b create separation down the field to make an open window for your quarterback, you could do pretty well with just that because you can scheme other guys open. You'll get Theo Weiss on a few big plays throughout the course of the season. You'll have some Mookie Cooper yards after catch on some of those bubble routes. Like, you'll you'll get opportunities for Makai Miller going across the middle. That stuff will just, by scheme, it'll come open for them. You need at least one guy, though, that can really go out there and get his. And they had that last year with Dominic Lovett. As long as Burden can replace that, I think he'll be okay. I, too, have some of those questions about, like, third down. Who's your go-to guy? What what is What do you do to win on third and six? Because this team last year, you get into a third down situation, and it's one of two things. It's either Dom Lovett or it's Bear Bannister. Neither of those guys are back. So what is it now? Is it Luther Burden or Mookie Cooper? Is it Luther Burden or Makai Miller? Is it Luther Burden or we're running with a quarterback? Like, you've got options there. Things could emerge, and it could be better than it was last year in that situation. But that's that's probably the biggest question for me is, can Luther become that number one guy, and do you have another option on third down? I mean, truly, on third and six, Missouri ran the ball. That's what they usually did. Which is bad. Like, it's a bad process. It's not good. do that. <laughs> you did not have a good run-blocking line, and you did not have a very good running back, and you really... This is what Kirby's here for. K- Kirby's and... here because he doesn't want to run on third down. He doesn't... A, he doesn't want to get into third, third and six. No. And B, he doesn't want to run when he's in those situations. I can tell you after re- watching a few of their games, based on their personnel and what Missouri's personnel is, he ain't running on third and six very often. <laughs> I hope that's, that's going to be happening. I gonna see, you're going to see a lot of Luther Burden over routes on third and six. That's what you'll see. A lot of that. Yeah. That is that is exactly what I want. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know, Mikhail Miller, I felt like he really started earning more targets as the year went on. And I don't for that Florida game? Yeah. Quarter? Like, I don't recall <laughs> like a ton of third down targets because Barrett Bannister was still around, but he did deliver like in the bowl game. It was Mikhail Miller making those plays. So Again, you can't bank on a sophomore. That's not what you want to do, but that's kind of where we're leaning. Uh, and if Dennis Jackson wants to be awesome, like he's just not had a lot of reps at the SEC level. He's a very intriguing athlete, but as far as proven stuff, not there. So, yeah, you need some guys to step up, and you need to step them up in specific roles that Missouri kind of leaned on last year, and that's not there. So I, I am cautiously optimistic that these receivers can blossom in a new – coordinator system, not new, but like a new guy calling the plays, 
a your star player being in a way more comfortable position, way more a better spot than he should have been last year, and hoping that the let's say creativity of the offense allows for a lot of things to open up and allow the receivers to do what they do a lot better than what we were doing last year, which was again running on third down. So cautiously optimistic is where I'm at, regardless of what returning production says. So um, on defense, though, I am Missouri returns basically everything. And it's really interesting because you look at those weights and, you know, Bill is kind of shaking them out kind of over the years, like 40 here, 30 here, whatever. No, not this year. This year, he has decided that based off of his projections, about 70% of a defensive returning production weight is just tackles made. Tackles made. Yeah. And the good news is that Missouri is returning 76.5% of all of their tackles. Things that don't make a huge difference. Sacks, 4%. Tackles for loss, 12%. In fact, the only thing that's over 12% is passes defense, which is sitting at 14%. So it is truly, are you on the field making tackles? Hmm. If you are doing that, you are probably going to succeed in the following year if you return a bunch of that. And again, Missouri returns a bunch of that outside of defensive end. So, I mean, BK, it feels great. That's why Missouri's defensive uh, return production is so high because the things that they are missing, like sacks, are don't really count a whole lot for as far as projecting success. So, again, we thought we were going to be good about the defense. We felt good about it, and the numbers back that up. Does that make you happy? It does. Um, I am still a little concerned about the edge rush position. Now, that being said, I think something to keep in mind is that Blake Baker is a guy that can create havoc without having guys that do it on their own. And what I mean by that is, like, think back to the Georgia game, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't think Missouri's defensive ends were just out there, like, dominating on their own against NFL-caliber offensive tackles on every down. I, I think what you saw is Blake Baker found a way to scheme that up. He's going to find a way to get Tyron Hopper on blitz opportunities. He's going to find a way to get this Newsom kid that's coming from Juco and is apparently excellent. He's going to get him on the field. And where is he going to be utilized? I don't know. I think he's going to be a third down, like, dime slash nickel linebacker that comes in in very specific situations to either rush the passer or drop into coverage because that's what he's good at. Um, So I, I think you're going to see him being able to utilize the players in the right way. And that makes up for a lack of obvious pass rush coming from the edge position. So that makes me feel better about it. And then, like, in the past, and this is why I'm a little surprised by the way that Bill's going about it. Now, it makes sense in in theory, but um, I know that he always put a pretty significant in, uh, impact on just your defensive backs. That's where the returning production really matters. Yeah. And when you look at what Missouri has coming back in the defensive backfield, like, that matters to me, man. It's really just, do you believe that Dalen Carnell can step up and be a legitimate starter? And for me, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I absolutely do. I think he's a potential future NFL player at that position. So I feel really good about where they're at defensively, and I trust their defensive coordinator. I, I'm, I have very few questions other than what they're going to get edge rush wise on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. I mean, Missouri's returning 95% of their passes defensed. 55% of their sacks, 69% right, so tackles for loss, and then, of course, 76% of their tackles. Uh, question for you, BK, and this is this is a quiz. Yes, I will give you the answer at the mm-hmm. end. We know who led the team in sacks. You can look that up, not a problem. However, if you had to guess, who do you think were the top three in quarterback pressures for Missouri's defense last year? Quarterback pressures. That's interesting. Um, I would say Coleman was up there. Mm-hmm. He was number three. Yep. Um, I feel like this is a trick trick question because I want to say McGuire, but I feel like you're gonna. It's not a trick question. Right. McGuire was number one. He had okay. twenty seven pressures on the year. Not a trick question. What do you? Who do you think was number two? You got you got McGuire and you got Coleman. My guess is it was somebody along the interior. Was it Robinson? So Darius Robinson finished with 15 pressures. He was fourth. Okay, so I was close. Um, 
Was Christian Williams on this list? <laughs> Christian Williams is on the list. He only had six, so that okay. puts him at like who was two? So who was two? Well, it's a guy who still plays for Missouri. His name was Tyrone Hopper. Oh, that that makes sense. I didn't yeah. even like. Yeah, of course. And I I did not. I know he was sent for you know. Obviously, he was a very havocy kind of guy. I know he was sent a lot. He was. He had 117 plays in which he rushed the quarterback, uh, which is about 29 percent of the time he was rushing the quarterback. He had three sacks, which is good. He had 22 quarterback pressures. That is an 18% pressure rate. Just as as a frame of reference, Will Anderson was getting pressures on the quarterback last year 23% of the time. So to be like a top five pick in this year's draft and was like undoubtedly a top 10 defensive player in the sport. Yeah. And Tyron Hopper was just a little bit below him as a linebacker. So uh, now you can argue what Will Anderson's position actually was, but he was get the quarterback. That was his position. And Tyron Hopper only did that some of the time. And his percentage of doing that was almost as good as a basically a surefire first round pick. So I again, I don't know why Tyron Hopper's coming back. I understand that the actual numbers aren't there. You know, it kind of waxed and waned, kind of depending on your opponent, which that's gonna be true for a lot of players. But the dude will make it go boom. And he got a lot of pressures, and even if he didn't connect for sacks, he was a disruptive piece. And now if you add Tristan Newsom to this. If you still have Chad Bailey, who was a relatively disruptive dude on his own, and you have Darius Robinson playing on the outside and a bunch of defensive tackles who can generate pressure up the middle, which is the best place to do it, I I would love a disruptive end. Don't get me wrong, but I still feel okay, and that's probably going to be my downfall. Maybe Joe Moore finally puts it together. Maybe the Walker boys are just as good as we think they could be. But if you don't get one, I'm not upset just because there's so many other guys who can do it. And like you said, this is Blake Baker's thing. He creates pressure no matter who he has. Um, but yeah, if you're talking about priorities, I don't think it would be high. It's up there. Uh, but not having a proven pass rusher at end is just, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Yeah. And it's, it's tough to go into the season with a whole lot of confidence without having that guy. Like it, especially in the zoo, right? Because we're so used to having like a guy at least that's coming back with like legit returning production or projects to be a future NFL player and to not really have that this year, at least on the edge. It's weird. It, it's strange. It, it feels uncomfortable. Um, it, the other thing that I would add is like, as an offensive coordinator, one of your worst nightmares is a defensive coordinator who could bring pressure from anywhere on any play. And so it almost like by necessity forces Blake Baker to utilize one of his best assets, which is teams don't know where the pressure's coming from. Like Tyron Hopper could be coming on any given play. Chad Bailey has shown he he can blitz on any given play. Uh, you could have some kind of a a stunt coming from the the D tackle and the end that are looping. Like it's there's a lot of stuff that they can do along the defensive line to cause havoc without having an edge rusher that's doing it just the typical way of bending the edge and getting to the Perry Odom, for all of his faults, he fielded a very disruptive defense two years in Mizzou, and he was trotting out Chris Chris Turner mm-hmm. and Jordan Howard. Nothing against those guys, but like they were not disruptive pieces. You can do it. It can't be done. It feels weird. Like you said, Mizzou should have awesome pass rushers, but we will see. We will see. Uh, to close it out, let's talk NIL. Let's talk, let's talk parody, because we are sitting in a world where Florida Atlantic and San Diego State were in the Final Four. And I feel like most of the time when college basketball things happen, the question always goes, well, can that happen in football? Can that happen in football? And I, I fielded a couple emails in the past couple of weeks, uh, people asking questions along the lines of, like, does the transfer portal or NIL, does that mean that Missouri can do this in football? Does it mean Missouri can do this in basketball? Does it mean that coaches no longer have that leash of building a program and I think to a certain extent, like, yeah, it's different, but basketball is such a different sport because it takes two guys to be awesome. And football, you need 22 dudes to be awesome. <laughs> so, BK, you had you saw something interesting on the Twitter machine. I want you to take it from here and kind of walk us through it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. I, I think that there's a lot of people that are coming up with some kind of scenario where, like, hey, NIL transfer portal, it's going to make so much parity in, in college football. And the guy that I saw this from was Shannon Terry of On3. He, he posted it. In theory, like, I kind of get where he's coming from because he's basically saying, like, 
hey, the transfer portal means that those guys that aren't getting the opportunities for NIL could end up going elsewhere. And like, in theory, that makes some sense. But like you said, you need like 20 of those dudes. Like you need a, a large roster that's coming in on any given season to be able to to sustain that kind of a thing. I think it's just so much more on the college basketball side. First of all, it's cheaper. Like you have 13 roster spots that you have available to you. So if you have three game changers, and we see this with Arkansas every year, where they just bring in like three dudes, like legit players. And it's just a matter of like, are they good? If they end up being really good at Arkansas, that Arkansas team is going to be excellent for Eric Musselman. Now, they don't have much of a bench, but they're going to be really good when it comes to what they're starting five, and then maybe one or two guys are coming off of the bench. If they're not good, then the season ends up in disappointment, and that's the way that it goes. It's kind of the way Kentucky used to operate with freshmen, but instead of bringing them as in as 18-year-olds, you've seen them at the college level either fail or succeed for a couple of years before you're giving them that opportunity. So... I think it makes a lot of sense. And like, if we wanted to have a conversation about Mizzou hoops and what this means for them, I absolutely think NIL plus transfer portal makes a team specifically in Mizzou's position in a much more uniquely qualified position to succeed than they would have been in previous years where you're just trying to compete with McDonald's All-Americans every year. That's tougher for Mizzou. Now I think you can bring in guys with NIL, with opportunities, um, that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to get. Mizzou football is different, and I don't think it levels the playing field between Mizzou in Alabama or Mizzou in Tennessee or Mizzou in Georgia in any real meaningful way, honestly. I think it, the, the one area that it helps for Mizzou, and I think people have kind of understated this, honestly, Mizzou's defensive players didn't just, like, come back for no reason. Right. They came back because they are getting NIL opportunities, you know? So, like, that helps. But otherwise, I, I don't think it really changes much for them. I mean, I think Missouri's NIL situation is certainly better than I thought it was and probably better than what most people think. Um, you know, programs like Alabama and LSU and Tennessee, like, not only do they have people who are fully bought in, but they have concentrated wealth. That goes purely to their football programs. Like, it's it is... You are doing something wrong if you cannot succeed at those at those schools. Um, and I've always just assumed, you know, we've seen it that there's a little bit of apathy from from the money folks in Missouri sphere. You know, there's other things that they invest in. There's other things they're interested in. But I think what we've seen is that Missouri can at least, you know, maybe not the five stars, maybe not the four stars, but for the really good three stars and a couple of the blue bloods or blue chippers. Yeah. We can, we got some fun to throw around. We can bring it. We can bring you in. We can build a pretty decent team uh, based, based off of that. You know, uh, we're not going to outbid everybody, but we can offer something a little bit different, offer you playing time, some compensation and a really fun scheme, you know, because it's not always about the money. There's a lot of guys who go places just for the experience or, you know, the, the possibility to play with a certain coach or certain guys so if Missouri can offer that you know yeah it's going to help it's going to help but you don't you know no matter what the transfer portal can do or what NIL can do overhauling a 108 man roster there's no shortcut man like maybe you cut off a year or two but like you're not you're not flipping it okay now you can definitely do it in basketball and that's yeah, that's that's just easier that way. But man, I don't know. I, I I love the idea. I love the concept of like we can escape the same six teams playing in the national championship every year. Like I like that concept. I don't think that means that it's going to happen. We saw with TCU, which has way more money than you think they do. Um, but it's really it comes down to uh, you know, trying to level it out with 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 the transfer portal, trying to make money, monetary opportunities with through NIL, and then expanding the playoff. Frankly, just giving more teams opportunity, that's really going to spread that talent out. Because instead of kids in California saying, well, there's no way in hell I can go to Oregon State and end up in the national championship. Hell, I can't even go to USC and end up in the playoff. I can't do that right now. I'm Bryce Young. I got to go to Alabama to do this. Instead of that... You're opening multiple pathways where you have a West Coast team or maybe more teams from the East Coast or, you know, like a, 
I know Michigan is not really a, a what was me team, but like usually they weren't getting into these sorts of things. And now they can when they expanded it just a little bit. Imagine how many mid-level players like in Oregon, uh, like a TCU, maybe like a Missouri who gets lucky a couple of years in the SEC can do when you expand that, that playoff. And you have these opportunities to bag some bigger players and kind of distribute some money, distribute the opportunities to guys who are looking to play and can't cut it at the Alabamas or the Ohio States. That's where you find the inefficiencies. And then you got to hope to get lucky a couple of years and then maybe, maybe you'll come out your way. Yeah. That, I think the biggest thing is like, it's, if you expand the playoff, that is where the, it's honestly kind of artificial, but that's where the parody comes in because then suddenly you're allowing more teams to contend in a one game sample. And like, We've seen this in the past. Appalachian State can beat Michigan in a one-game sample size. We've had upsets in one-game samples where, like, South Carolina suddenly beats Tennessee on a weird game. Or Mizzou is five minutes away from beating Georgia last year, right? I mean, we teams can keep up for 60 minutes. Over the course of a 12-game season, though, it's unlikely that those lesser teams will be able to sustain over the course of the life of that season. So I, it's really just about expanding the playoff. That's where you get kind of built-in artificial um, parity. I, I think college basketball is honestly that way to a large degree. Like, mm-hmm. in a one-game sample size in the NCAA tournament, can FAU go out there and pull off some crazy upset? Sure. Can UMBC go out there and beat Virginia? Absolutely. We've seen it, right? That's what makes the tournament great is that you can have these no-name schools that we've literally never heard of before in our entire lives go up against Duke, and they beat them. Lehigh can beat Duke. It brings back horror story stories in my mind, but Norfolk State can come into the NCAA tournament and beat Missouri. This stuff happens. It's not to that degree in college football, but you can have stories like that in the college football playoff, but you have to expand it to be able to allow those teams in to get those types of games. You have to expand it, and then you got to wait five or six years so that players realize that there's multiple avenues to, if a championship is important to you, and there are multiple avenues to get there. So, um, But yeah, I mean, look, these things are good. It, it is completely taken a blowtorch to everything we knew about college football growing up. The whole, you know, red shirts are going to be awesome next year. And it's like four-year builds. And that's like, throw that out. That doesn't exist anymore. And there is some sadness. I'll, I'll speak for me. There is some sadness in my mind where I don't get to live in that world anymore. At the same time, I would prefer my players to be able to, you know, get paid for being awesome. Have these opportunities available to them. And if a coach, you know, lures them in with a, with a false bill of sale and then bails once the second they get on campus. No, if they don't want to be there then they should leave. And guess what? Just because they leave, it also means that you can pick some guys up who also got that. So it works both ways. And I am I am happier for the players. I don't know where it's going to end up. I don't think the changes are done. Uh, even when we're talking about playoff expansion and NIL and all that stuff, I think there's going to be more changes that come through. I don't know what that's going to look like. But in the end, as long as it's making it in a level playing field, I'm okay with it. Because, again, the big joke about college football is that Alabama, Missouri, New Mexico State are all claiming to play the same sport. They're not. It just, just that's just not how it works. If we can level that a little bit, it might be weird. It might be uncomfortable, but in the end, that's kind of what we're looking for, just to get a fair shot. Just to put this in further context, like when we talked about the basketball versus football side of things and how difficult it is to compete in football compared to how, like marginally speaking, these are all big numbers, but marginally speaking, it is easier to get good at college basketball with the money that you're investing. So this is from 2022 and 20 or excuse me, 2021. Um, the highest spending college football program was Ohio state at $215 million. South Carolina was 25th at $133 million. Um, on the basketball side of things, the highest operating expenses was Kentucky at $22 million. Second, second in the country was Tennessee at 14. So like, it's just, it is not the same thing. Mississippi state was in the top 15 and they were spending $8 million. Mizzou was in the, or excuse me, this is in the sec. Um, Mizzou was like middle of the pack at $10 million spent on the basketball program and the sec. Like it's just, 
that that is not comparable. You you could times Kentucky's operating expenses by ten, and you get to what Ohio State is on the football side of things. Investing a little bit goes a long way in college basketball. You have to be ready to go all in on college football to really play with the big boys. Yeah. I'm not saying we give up football, but man, when you put numbers like that, it's like, <laughs> maybe we should be a basketball school. <laughs> God. It's a lot not hard to see why they're investing so much NIL on the basketball side of things. I'll say that much. Like I'm okay with it. You invest a few hundred thousand dollars in players here or there, and you suddenly have a roster that can do a lot for you. Like, look at what Miami did this year. Miami basketball ended up in the Final Four this year. I think it was reported um, they spent like $200,000 on Nigel Pack, something like that. Nigel Pack is a really good guard for them. That scored a lot of points for them this year. He helped them get to the Final Four. That is the best $200,000 you've ever spent. Like they might have spent a million dollars on their roster this year. I don't know exactly what a team gets, program gets, a university gets out of a Final Four run. It probably increases that tenfold in terms of the revenue that they're getting off of that, whether it's specifically from the advertising that that gives them or because of the enrollment numbers that boost like crazy. I mean, we saw at Mizzou after 2007, it was their largest freshman class ever. Why was that? I don't know. What happened in 2007? The Flutie effect. That's what happened. <laughs> so the, these kinds of things matter, and it's just easier to do on the basketball side of things, unfortunately. Yep. Sports are nothing but an advertising tool. That's all it is. And that's why schools are okay with investing yep. in it. So, man, it is an off-season show, 50 minutes. I'm feeling good about this, man. Any last parting shots before we get out of here? I don't think so. Uh, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, we'll have some news on the uh, A, recruiting front, but B, transfer front. I think that opens up, what is it, early May? Hey, yep. Um, so we're not next show, but the show after that, we should have some some kind of news or at least updates when it comes to the transfer portal. The other thing to keep in mind, spring ball's still going on at some places right now. There are going to be other guys that enter the portal that thought they were going to be starters at the end of spring that didn't end up getting the same opportunity that they were expecting. And maybe a center comes out of the portal that way, or maybe a new edge rusher comes out of the portal that way. There's going to be new players that, that show themselves and we'll see what that ends up looking like for Mizzou. Yeah. Can't wait to see it. That's going to be our show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can of course follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate Edwards. He is at BK sports talk. Uh, of course, you can follow the Rock and Flagship at Rock and Nation and our podcasting outlet at Rock and Radio. I never get to say this. I'm going to say it here. Smash that subscribe button. Oh, man. Anyway, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Z-O-U.